0: recorded live
1: scuba obsessed the weekly podcast we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear places a dive and scuba new news Scoob Obsessed, episode 251 is recorded live August 6th, 2015. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the road in the great state of Missouri. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac?
0: Very well, thank you. Glad to be here.
1: And we also have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim?
2: I'm doing great, thanks.
0: Excellent.
1: And how is the weather back in Michigan? Beautiful. Here in Missouri, it is a tad bit toasty. And they told me that last week it was much worse.
0: I heard you had rain down there this time of year, though.
1: Oh, they said it's been the wettest summer they can remember. I got woke up a couple nights ago. My cell phone went off, and it was the emergency alert system built into the phone. It was a flood warning. I didn't. You're not
0: in the lowland, are
1: you? Not really. If it floods here, we're in trouble. I think I think all Missouri would be underwater here. But when I crossed the Illinois River, I did notice that there was a lot of farm fields that were soggy, had standing water in them.
0: Yeah.
1: So it is wet. But on the other hand, it's got to be saving people a fortune in irrigation.
0: I'd be more concerned with the seismic activities in that area. Have there been some?
1: Am I am I missing it's something? The
0: fault line that goes through Missouri, you know that, right? Yeah, a major one. That's the one that when it went many many years ago, it made the Mississippi flow backwards. Oh, if they had the same magnitude nowadays, you're talking billions and billions of dollars and <laughs> thousands and thousands of lives.
1: That'd be bad.
0: Yeah, they're just waiting for that one, just like in California.
1: This one here, there's not. You know, the town I happen to be in, which is Brookfield. I don't think I don't know if there's any two story buildings. Are they mean, doing
0: any fracking around your neighborhood there?
1: I haven't seen any.
0: <laughs> well, you know we had that, what, 4.4 4 up around north of Kalamazoo last week? Oh, I didn't hear
1: about that one last week.
0: Yeah, you know, and they're saying it's highly unusual for it to be where it is since there is no fault lines around there. Huh. And there is no fracking around it either. So they were concerned that why that happened when it normally is not a place it should happen.
1: Well, the answer is obvious, isn't it? It's the well, alien base. <laughs>
0: That beats global warming, right? Yeah,
1: like you got the alien base. The aliens are are coming out. The, the, which lake is the, are they using for a cover up there? Do you think?
0: I don't know, but it's funny you mentioned the the lake aspect. After that was published, um, there were several divers, and I I do not remember the name of the two lakes they were they were talking, but they said they had holes in the bottom of the lake, meaning depressions uh-huh. that were not there prior to the earthquake. Huh.
1: Well, you know, when you it's like when you open a door that's got dirt on top of it, you know, it kind of settles a little bit when you move it. So that could be.
0: Yeah. Well, if you had a fissure, I think you'd have no lake. So you know, you got a lake bottom, but it's still interesting that they brought that up. As I, oh, by the way, I'll see if I can find that because that was quite interesting.
1: Well, all uh, as long as our alien overlords will let us, I think it's time to go to. Uh, talk about some scuba in the news. And first up, if I can navigate, I'm I'm relegated to one screen here in the hotel. First one up is, uh, you know, if you really want to learn how to get in trouble, you have to know all the rules. So I take it that lawyers know how to really get in trouble. A random vessel check in Florida by the Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission officer stopped a... 25 foot boat Uh, they're just doing a random check and they discovered a little bit of lobster poaching going on and a a lawyer out of Fort Myers Stephen uh, Coppell uh, when they went the agents asked him how many lobsters they had they held up 18 the bag limit is six lobsters per person and there was three on the boat the officers then found 28 additional lobsters hidden in the compartment under the deck and according to the officer, said, if it had been, oh, we didn't know the regulations, it might have just been a citation. But the fact that the lobsters were hidden shows the intent to circumvent the law. Any first-year law student could tell you that. They went out purposely to poach lobsters, and that's why they went to jail. He's a lawyer, an educated man. There's no way he didn't know what he was doing. And he's teaching his two kids to break the law. And this is according to Lewis Johnson, FGCU's dive safety officer, who was in incensed about the case am not going to say anything about the lawyers because i'd probably get sued he said but i just don't understand how people with the resources to go to the keys in a 25 foot grady white i've priced 25 foot grady whites and it would and uh would break the law for 28 lobsters if you get the uh, get at public which must be a rest uh a grocery store chain down there for six dollars a piece so they're saying why would you risk it if you've got all the money he says it's not like they were down in our luck struggling out in an old rowboat to get some lobsters to sell for baby formula. Uh, Steve Coppell is charged with 28 lobsters over the limit. He also did not have a saltwater fishing license. He had no lobster stamp and three boating violations for lack of proper safety gear. His sons, John and Kyle, who had fishing licenses and lobster stamps, were also charged with 28 lobsters over the limit. Now, not that I'm trying to defend them, but do you, you charge... Isn't that like triple dipping?
0: I was going to say 28 lobsters, and each of them get hit with the same thing?
1: Yeah, I wonder if that might be their angle out. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) That seems like a little piling on.
0: What is it? Accessories after the fact or during the fact?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, and I'm sure the the law is pretty clear, so that must be how they do it. When you're on a boat and there's multiple people and you're over the limit, everybody gets charged the same. Uh, the license stamp and boating citations will probably cost him $500. Do be said for the 28 lobsters, it's an on per lobster basis, and it's up to the judge. Monroe's county state's attorney and the courts back us 110% or more. They don't take any fishery violations lightly, I tell people. We give good jail time in Monroe, Monroe County. You get more jail time for fisheries violations than sticking up a liquor store.
0: Or there
2: something oh, something. That makes that makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, armed robbery, you, you get out in no time. You, you poach a lobster and you're going to do some jail time. Uh, this guy is probably going to get slammed. Now, does it, does the fact that you're a lawyer and that you know the law make it worse?
0: I think it so.
1: Sh- it should. Yeah. But I I think that almost anybody in the state is going to know. Yeah. If, if the hiding the lobsters is what they need to nail them on. Attorney or no attorney, the fact that you went to the effort to go and do that, so you knew what the limit was, and you had exactly that, and everything else you threw in the tank—twenty-eight lobsters over the limit.
0: Guillotine! Guillotine!
1: Guillotine! <laughs> Off with his head! Well, hopefully, what I think was, it would be even better would be something that you know. Okay, you can't—you know, you pay all these fines, and you can't do it for three or four years. In fact, I think. For animal poaching up here in Michigan, I think that's how it works. There's part of a poaching network, and if you're in violation, you can't get a license in any of the states that are affiliated for three years.
2: Tattoo a lobster on his head. Yeah. Right on his forehead.
1: Or, or how about they, they stake him out and they let lobsters like crawl over him. They could put like lobster food. What do the lobsters eat?
2: Anything on the bottom.
1: There you go. <laughs> and then uh, we have another article talking about mini-season, so that's what's – this is about Florida does a mini-season, which I believe is two days. And then it goes, and they have a few days off, and then the regular lobster season opens August 6th, which was today. In uh, th- this next article, they talk about a, a diver who pops up, and uh, they ask him how it was, and he goes, oh, I was unlucky, I didn't catch anything. And there happens to be an officer in the boat, and he goes, actually, you're very lucky. If you had a lobster, you'd be getting a citation because you're in a, uh, a preserve. <laughs> So there's, I guess, there's areas where you don't want to be doing any lobster diving. Well, so I looked
0: at the pictures of the guys putting them in the bucket. Uh huh. Now, if you can buy those for six dollars down there, you sure can't buy them for six dollars up here that size.
1: Maybe it's the difference between Florida and Michigan. Yeah, you're, you're certainly right. Up here, what, what's a what's a? And maybe he meant six dollars a pound because it wouldn't be six dollars. Okay,
0: then I can understand. Yeah,
1: because six dollars it, it seems a little light. I don't yeah. care where you're at.
0: Yeah, and those are spiny, so are you going to be looking at the tail on them anyway? Yeah, yeah. so
1: they say it's a two-day sports season for recreational lobster divers ended Thursday, uh, and they said they had no fatalities and citations where people suffered serious injury. From a standpoint, that was a good mini season. They estimated more than half the people who had the floor in the waters for the mini season do their hunting in the Keys, about thirty thousand divers and snorkelers annually. So, why? So, what's the idea of the mini season? Is it just to be earlier in the year to get first shot at them?
0: I'm not sure, but did you bring the second part, that if they caught seven, you could get seven if you caught 10 lionfish and showed them to the Marine officers?
1: And I like the idea for that. So for what, what Mac's saying is the, there's a limit with six, like we saw in the last article, but if you caught 10 lionfish and you had to show them the Marine officers, you were allowed to legally have seven lobsters. They said the Marine law enforcement agencies were out in force during the two-day to check for violations which the most common violation is taking undersized lobster or exceeding the daily limit. It says it was like probably an average year for infractions, uh, Dipperier said. There weren't a lot of undersized violations. And then they talked about the people we, we mentioned before. Uh, says a number of people were cited. Sorry, but you just can't do that. You have to know the regulations. They learned the hard way. I don't think they'll be treated too harshly. They said of the pilot program where one extra per day for catching at least ten lionfish, which is an invasive species down there with the, the spiny lobsters. And most of our listeners know what the lionfish are. Uh, I don't know of any officers who saw anyone offering the ten lionfish to qualify for the bonus lobster. I haven't heard of any. And this is uh, Dipper said. Uh, Trident Scuba Center Marathon said they had successfully spines and spiny tournament to reward lion hus- lionfish hunters. They said they had one group of three people bring in over two hundred of the lionfish.
0: I bet they worked their butts off on that one. Yeah. But I like the
1: well. I like the idea of uh having people do it, but you know, doesn't it seem like it's kind of a... Uh, now what what is it during the regular season? Is that two two lobsters per day? Is that maybe what the difference is? And I'm probably mixing up west coast and east coast rules. Each state's gonna have their own rules, make sure you know what they are.
0: Did you read some of the comments? Yeah, I'm I'm
1: looking at them now. Did you see anything that was interesting?
0: Yeah, dashing through your dive area, other boats. Uh Oh. Anybody can accomplish this or that. It's the easiest thing to do. A successful mini-season should not be measured by nobody died. Personally, I brought an extra air horn to keep on the dash for other boats blowing through my protected dive zone on plane. Fortunately, they were close enough that I could yell at them, yet they passed quickly enough for them not to hear a word or have time for me to blast a horn. Now that's freaking dangerous.
1: That is. See, and they need to be citing those violations. That's more health than, you know, I, I respect the fisheries, and we don't need to be overfishing them, but how about killing somebody with a boat? That's much worse. And here we have a follow-up from last week's article, Blackbeard's Ship, uh, the legal battle over the rights for images of Blackbeard's sunken flagship intensified. Lawmakers waited in the fray, by taking up legislation aimed at the shipwreck expo- exploration company suing the state for $8 million, the lawmakers amended an otherwise uneventful bill to add new language stating that for all footage and photographs of the shipwreck held by the state agencies are public property.
0: Which is what we talked about that we thought would happen anyway.
1: Yeah. So it looks like the from this article they're indicating that it passed or at least it moved to the next part of the bill process. Uh, Senator Norman Sanderson, a Republican from Pal- Milka- Lilko, said the department asked him and Senator Jim Davis, a Republican from Macon, to add language to a substitute bill proposed by the Senate Judiciary Committee last week. He, Sanderson said, I'm sure it was brought forth because of the lawsuit. Uh, the Rex explorers are skeptical of the claims that the law could be used against them in court, which it seems unlikely that a, a judge would retroactively apply this but that's just a little bit of follow-up civil war artifact thieves are sentenced to 30 months in federal pri- uh, prison They're out of chattanooga tennessee two tennessee men who illegally excavated civil war artifacts from the shiloh national military park and fort mccook have been sentenced to 30 month in federal prison a judge ruled last week kenneth stegan steven uh, Fagan, Jr., 39, of South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, and Terry Bruce Tate, 61, of Manchester, Tennessee, were sentenced in U.S. District Court in Chattanooga on July 30th. In addition to a 30-month sentence, Fagan was ordered to pay $22,463 in restitution to Tennessee Valley Authority and the National Park Service to cover the cost of restoration or repair to the sites. Tate was ordered to pay 21619 to $59 in restitution to the TVA. Upon release from prison, Fagan and Tate will each serve a one-year term of supervised release. Fagan and Tate pleaded guilty in February to violating the Archaeological Resource Protection Act with violations taking place in eastern and western Tennessee and northern Alabama. The ARPA became law in 1979 as a way to protect against the loss of destruction of archaeological resources on public and Indian lands that are irreplaceable part of the nation's heritage. Prosecutors say September 2007 to July 2011, Fagan, Tate, and others excavated Civil War-era artifacts from the bottom of Fort McCook, also known as Battle Creek, which is located on TVA property. Fagan would use scuba diving equipment in a pontoon boat and an underwater metal detector to locate the artifacts, specifically Fagan, Tate, and other recovered Civil War Hotchkiss shells, which are pieces of artillery used during the Civil War, Fagan and Tate did not have permits required under ARPA, nor did they have authority from TVA or any other entities to excavate artifacts from Battle Creek. Yeah, but, uh, looks like they went and sold some of the items on eBay. <laughs> so some of the items that were found: a 57 caliber three-ring rifle bullet, five three-ring rifle bullets, uh, Shinki artery fragment shells. So they? do you think you can actually get a permit? They they indicate you need to have a permit, but could you actually get one?
0: If they got a huge cut of the fines, I think. Yeah. I imagine there a you want to donate back to the museum. Yeah. But most of us know that national parks are forbidden anyway from using surface metal detector. Yeah. Unless they've dedicated certain areas that you can excavate, they have to look at the part and see if they want it or not.
1: So this is what, it, what brought it to my attention and how I found it was that it was involved with underwater. So this seems to be a little bit different because we always treat rivers as anything in a river is fair game because it's, uh, navig- well, it's navigable water. Uh, it could be dredged. So there's no expectation that any artifacts that are in there are going to be preserved.
0: Right, it's available for the public.
1: Right. Now, so this law must override that case.
0: You can enforce anything you want if you've got some intent. I'm curious why it took them for, you know, from 2007 to 11, and now it's 15. What happened in the interim? What suddenly made them want to do this prosecution? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it's, there's a time lag, and I don't understand why.
1: Well, it looked like all this was tried at the end of 2014, because they have charges against some other people that were dropped in October to 2014. Yeah. And it might be that they were just with them, and then actually profit. Uh, what does it say? Stuff was on
0: eBay. I'm curious. They said the cost of restoration and repair to the sites. What the hell does that mean? Well, I was thinking,
1: if you found it underwater, what are you doing to restore? And what I'm guessing is the reason why it's worded that way is because that's how that's part of the award that they can get in the lawsuit.
0: Because uh, we know that no matter where we're at in the river, every year that bottom re-nourishes and re itself, however you want to call it. Mm-hmm. It changes. So from one year to the next, you can't tell if somebody's been there before. Yeah. Yep. Seems that, like a lot of money, too.
1: Yeah, they, the restitution is going to be a little painful for them, and I doubt they made that much off it.
0: Well, that's what would be interesting to know also.
1: How much they made, when was it found?
0: Yeah. and again if it's worth that much how come the state or whatever didn't get in there and start saving it for posterity yeah
1: well i'm listening to what they found in it honestly after you have a couple of the bullets in the museum how many do you want yeah yeah it's like the you know clay or lead bullets whatever you're using uh this is a 57 caliber three ring rifle bullet okay you know after a thousand okay let's see what's next up on the list I preloaded, and those worked pretty good, but I've run through my my preload. We have a record scuba diving attempt, which is now in doubt. And I was trying to figure out even what the attempt was. Uh, A schoolgirl hoping to compete a record-breaking scuba dive could be stopped from making the attempt because she is too young. 13-year-old Charlotte had been hoping to become the first child ever to dive between two tectonic plates. The dive was due to take place in Iceland in September, But on Monday, the sports diving school of Iceland said the rule states that no one under the age of 17 should be allowed to dive in their waters. Tobias Close, who runs the sport diving school with whom Charlotte was hoping to dive, uh, told the newspaper, which is Newsround, and this is being reported by the BBC, there was a misunderstanding and even though Charlotte is under 17, we thought she would be able to complete the dive because she's fully qualified and learnt to dive outside of Iceland. However, we now realize it's not possible under Icelandic law. So what they were saying is that they were interpreting that the (laughs) Icelandic law meant you just couldn't, within the country, learn how to dive, but they're saying even if you're certified and you're under that age, you can't dive in Iceland. Mm. They're trying to find out if there's a a way the record attempt could still happen, but uh, they haven't found anything out so far. What do you think of that? Me personally, well,
0: I'm
1: not a big one in record attempts, especially like this. Uh, I think if it's it, it's so beautiful, so great to dive on its own. Why does it need to be a world record? And why would it be a world record? You swam between two techno plates. It's a beautiful, we've all seen the images of the waters crystal clear. You can see one side of the valley underwater is one plate, the other is the other plate. But really, is that an accomplishment for anybody? I was it's looking
0: just, more at the item of no one under the age of 17 should be allowed to dive in their waters.
1: Well, they—that's just a rule they set, and for whatever reason, I don't think you're necessarily—I don't necessarily you think it's a bad idea.
0: If I learned on my own and I was in Iceland and I went diving at 15, what are they going to do to me?
1: Oh, if you learned on your own, well, what, could, what could they?
0: Oh, well, that's what I'm asking here. That's right. Under the age of 17 should not be allowed, you know, to dive. I'm not sure where that came from. I'd like to know where that came from and why.
1: Yeah, it's just yeah. It, it would be nice if you're from Iceland and you know. You know, drop us a line. I'm just guessing that at some point in time somebody decided it was a hazardous sport, and seventeens where it went. But you have to think that's going against the dive agencies. Yeah, you the- got
0: Mowdy, Patty and Maui, and you can do intro to scuba at what age, and junior certifications at what age? Oh yeah, this doesn't seem correct.
1: 10. T- ten is the bubble blowers.
2: Well, you can get a license. You can get start scuba at ten. Yep. Yeah.
1: that's the the junior open water. I think that one you have to be with a adult technically yeah and limited to depth yeah i think it's 30 not 30 meters that'd be a long that'd be deep no uh, i think that's 30 I feet i
2: six yeah i was gonna say 60 but i'm 60. not sure i'll look at the detail
1: yeah yeah and then i think there's a few other tiers i think it doesn't and then it jumps again at like 14 but at you can 14, look 14 yeah and 16 can, yeah you can look at the paddy site yeah you know, i kind of think of 16 is really the age but i i, I like a tiered approach just because it lets you learn, get familiar, develop some muscle memory. But, I mean, you're a sovereign country. If you want to say 17, that's fine.
0: I'm just curious if, if that just seemed odd in this day and age, or is it back to the government? Well, I'll tell you what you can do because you're not responsible enough to know when you can do something.
1: Yeah, I, Iceland, I, I'm not sure. I know Iceland and Greenland, and I always get those two confused. Uh, they're not heavily populated, and they tend to have sometimes some unusual laws. And then divers are tracking fish species on the St. Lawrence River. Uh, you can dive in a data collection mission that could help researchers track the health of the river. They say they can't always get data because they can't get to these sites. It's according to Ms. Goodland, site manager for Project Baseline St. Lawrence River Team. Uh, Many divers will go through the Thousand Islands Biological Station run by the State University of New York College Environmental Science and Forestry of Syracuse. There's a lot of us, especially those of us that are on the water a lot, who are concerned with what's happening in an overall global environment, said Ms. Ms, uh, Goodland. We're trying to help in our own special way the greatest when we can collect data and share it with others." There's a massive benefit, according to uh, W. Robert Bob Sherwood, who helped create the local group and director of the partner organization Northeast Underwater Explorers. The river may look fine for a first-time diver. Those with more experience going on the river can observe differences over time. you You can't always see these changes as they happen. Local project baseline dives are taking place since last summer, and they're linked to Global Underwater Explorers initiatives, which supports conservation efforts but it's not really clear if they're doing this on their own as part of a larger program. What this kind of reminded me is, uh, Mac, you, you were looking at getting some kits. What, what was that for?
0: I'm sorry. Say again now.
1: You're looking at getting some <laughs> yeah, kits.
0: Yeah. Which I still have not got, but that was for sponges, uh-huh. Uh huh. freshwater sponges. And they thought they had found new species in the inland rivers. And since the divers out there finding these weird items, uh, someone said, well, let's try, you know, making a kit for these people who so can collect them correctly, send them to us, and we can validate what they found.
1: Now, now, it
0: would be pretty cool, though, to find something no one's ever, you know, uh, identified or, or marked.
1: Well, I believe that's absolutely possible because you think of how many varieties there are. And some varieties are going to be local to certain conditions. Specifically, we've got unique pH conditions. We have fens and bogs in our area, so you've got different pHs from acidic to alkaline. Uh, so I bet you we could find something. And we're also the ones diving. I mean, you can be sitting in a university doing your study all you want. When it comes time to get out in the field, you may not have the time or the resources to get all these samples. Yeah. Now, what they may do, which would make sense, would be to let, I mean, you've been waiting for this kit. Is there a way they could specify and say, here's the stuff you need? I mean, it'd be nice for them to provide it so we don't have to pay for it. But it would also be nice that you could keep stocked up on certain type of containers, and then if you saw something, you grab a container and you go and grab, do a sample, market, send it off to them.
0: Well, first time you found a the kit, then you'd know if you could find it cheaper yeah. by you know just components. Yeah.
1: Well, I've got, uh, got. I'm 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 on the road, so I don't have it with me. But I do subscribe to a uh, a company that has all that. That's what they do. They do environmental monitoring kits, and they they send us all the. Catalogs for all their little goodies, buoys and ROVs and water samplers and collection kits. So,
0: this is a side note, real quick. Yep, I I looked that up for Iceland, real quick. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a paddy grouping that seemed to be the predominant ones. But some of their pictures here are freaking awesome. And, like, I think the key word was cold, clear water.
1: That's why we ice dive.
0: Right, and I nowhere can I find any reference to minimum age, and that's what I was looking for, since Patty has the youthful program. So I'm would, I would just curious.
1: Well, it looked like the dive shop that was putting together the, the trip for her to, to qualify mm-hmm. for this award was a little surprise themselves. So it could just be that once the publicity got out there, somebody said, hey, this little obscure law nobody knows about. Maybe it's like our our laws where you can't park a, a horse with a hay wagon on a Saturday type laws
2: on the that's on the left side of the street
1: left side of the street exactly right side's fine well then this one is that kind of reminds me of uh earlier in the show where you, you had the boats zipping through the fwc which is the florida fish and wildlife conservation is reminding divers to display signals when they're scuba diving and snorkeling state wildlife officials are including divers encouraging divers to use certain devices to signal their scuba diving or snorkeling. It is critical to display the diver's down symbol of a buoy or flag when diving. Officials say it's not only the lawful thing to do, it also saves lives. Adding it is meant to alert boaters to the presence of people under the water surface and give them plenty of room. Diver's down flag must have a wire to hold it up open, and the buoy can be three-sided or four-sided. The flag displayed on a boat must be at least 20 inches by 24 inches and displayed at its high point. The buoy, meanwhile, may not be used or displayed from a ba- vessel. Both can be displayed in the water. In the case, the flag or buoy must be at least 12 inches by 12 inches. Bigger is fine. And then, who would have thought that gold would be worth something? Treasure from a 400-year Spanish, 400-year-old Spanish, 400 year Spanish shipwreck. Fetch $2 million at auction. Dozens of artifacts from two 400-year-old shipwrecks have been auctioned for about $2 million. Among the highlight from Guern- Guernsey's sale Wednesday night was a two-handed gold chalice from the Santa Margarita. It fetched $413,000. A money chain of large gold links from the Nuestra Signora di Atocha sold for $75,000. New York auctioneer offered 40 select items salvaged from the Ships by treasure hunter Mel Fisher decades ago, he found 40 tons of silver and gold, fine Colombian emeralds, and more than 1,000 silver bars. The ships laden with New World gold on the way to Spain went down in 1622 Hurricane. Near the Florida Keys, the incarnate gold spoon of Peruvian and Spanish origin brought $62,000. Fisher died in 1998 and his wife died in 2009.
0: You know, I think I'd be satisfied at my age to find a 1,000 pounds of gold.
1: 1,000 <laughs> pounds of be. Would be okay.
0: Yeah, I, I could, I could live with that. I think. I mean, you're, they're talking forty tons. Hey, thousand pounds is that? That's not too. Is that
1: too much to ask? Just, I don't think we've got a thousand pounds of gold in in Lake Michigan. I like to think there was.
0: Yeah, yeah. You just that gotta would be, find I, that,
2: uh, that that Civil War railroad I, car.
0: Yeah, that box car.
1: <laughs> I, it's one of those things. And they find it, then they, we can say he's right. Yeah, it, it's tantalizing, but. You have to think of how many different ways that stuff can go.
0: Well, we, we I know personally that the divers in the mud club have now seen the griffin.
1: Yes. <laughs> I mean, right? We've we've seen the griffin now, yeah.
0: Yes, we did. Uh, Kevin brought it to the last meeting.
2: Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah.
0: Undeniable evidence.
1: Proof. We got proof.
0: But we won't go there, but I just thought it was interesting.
1: Yeah. So you have to do, you have to come to a mud club dive meeting and, and ask Kevin to show you the griffin lewis cave divers discovered unver- unseen world deep in lewis cave and this was this last saturday scuba divers ben perkins and dick bennett lugged their gear as far as anyone had ever gone in the furthest reaches of ancient lewis cave lewis cave is just a little over two hours southeast of springfield in ripley county with and t- uh, what this is that uh, this is in missouri where i happen to be now i'm not this cave so what they did is they hauled, hauled in their their gear. And this is a, most people get in the cave. It's above water in many spots and underwater in others. The cave is locked up with a bat-friendly gate, which allows the bats to come in and out, but people can't get in. The nonprofit Missouri Caves and Karst Conservancy, it's easy for me to say conservancy, now manages access to the cave and the built-in steel gate keeps those people out and then lets the bats go in. But what they were able to do is they were able to get to spots in the cave that had never been seen before. Let's see if we can describe one of the conditions they said. Let's see, they said it was a divers worked their way uh deeper into the cave. They spotted albino cave crayfish, colorless, lightless world and aware blind cavefish. It's about an inch and a half long. The skin is translucent so you can see the organs inside when you shine a light on them. The ecosystem in that environment is very poor. Without sunlight, there's very little food that gets into the cave. We only saw two cavefish and a dozen crayfish. Surprisingly, we saw dozens of sculpted fish, which are surface dwellers. It's interesting we saw so many surface fish and so far back in the cave. Uh, They went deeper into the constricted roch corridor. Perkins had a dive light that reflected on a silvery surface ahead, and it was an air pocket. They emerged to a gigantic cavern about 60 to 70 feet wide and at least 15 feet high. It was a big thrill to pop into this dry cave where no human has ever been. There was a lot of white on the ceiling, brilliant crystalline white in our lights, and a lot of crystal growth around uh, argonite. The whole ceiling was coated in crystal growth. No voice had ever echoed in the walls as we discussed our next move. Uh, They carefully climbed rocks to get a better view, Perkins said. They avoided stepping in on sand or mud to keep them from leaving footprints that might never be erased. Awed by the crystal sea, uh, ceiling, Perkins said he realized they need to be more cautious. They looked around, but could see no way for air to get into this cave. We had to be careful because there might be concentration of carbon dioxide gas or swamp gas. Which, that can happen if you're in caves. We've, we've, that can be very fatal. So they said they were fortunate they didn't uh, encounter any dangerous air. Uh, they found uh, a new waterfall deep in the cave. And that's where they had to turn around. Uh, they wanted to continue on farther, but they wouldn't be able to make it back before and make their pickup time so people would start to worry.
0: If you've never been in that kind of environment, it's really interesting.
1: I'm looking at that. There's like one picture of him, of uh, the diver staring up. I guess you'd have to call slag tight, but it really looks like uh, a gray sheet just hanging there. Like it almost very- looks like
0: magna walls.
1: It does. Just beautiful, beautiful photos.
0: Yeah, I dove a cave in Alabama a long time ago, and it's really unique to see the albino crayfish and the albino fish. Uh uh-huh. It's it's actually freaky. At first time I'd ever seen anything anything like that. Yep, uh,
1: eyes don't do them any good down there. Well, no. the key item
0: is not only diving, but if you're going to go caving, I strongly recommend taking classes. And don't doing it the way I did back in the old days <laughs> of learning and surviving when you do dumb things. So, uh,
1: so, so you're saying just don't uh, pick up a headlight set and a canteen no. and a flashlight and walk on in. Yeah,
0: which is about just what we started doing back in the old Army days, exploring this cavern. And then we realized we really screwed up one time and got our asses sort of saved. And then they recommended strongly if you know what I mean by strongly, uh-huh. come back in there. We do it the right way, and we did. But uh, that's an awesome. But to do it, then do scuba. You gotta have the training. Just don't go out there and I can do this because I'm a diver. Blah blah. It don't work that way.
1: Yeah, well, it's two. Di- well, it's at least three separate disciplines. You have scuba diving. You have uh, caving and spelunking, which I know that those two groups hate each other for some reason. And then you also have cave diving. So you yeah. really should be proficient in all three
0: and cavern diving is different than cave diving right yeah what i did was not cave dive well it was in a cave but it was in a in a pond basically and we just got in there and looked around no diving down to see where it went came from all that stuff but that's awesome stuff
1: yeah great photo we'll have these articles in the show notes so you can follow along and then how's this for a, a ship This one's from Australia, the Herald Sun. A ship ship breakwater rescue plan for the Cerberus could hold water. Bayside Council, who manages the iconic Half Moon Bay Heritage-listed vessel, has been given permission by the federal government to fund a feasibility study into taking the turrets off and displaying them at the HMAS Cerberus. It's like once I start pronouncing it wrong, there's no way to get it back. C-E-R-B-E-R-U-S. I believe that was a mythical, it's part of mythology, that name. Naval Base at Crib Point. The ship was created in 1868, scuttled as a breakwater in 1926. It is currently in danger of collapsing due due to the heavy weight of its top structure and without action is likely to break down further and disappear into black rock waters. In 2009, the federal government provided 500000 to try and save the vessel. Environment Minister Greg Hunt, in consultation with the National Trust, has now relaxed conditions of the funding so it can be used for a $60,000 study. Estimates to do the removal and relocation work are between $500,000 and $550,000. The council may, in the future, have to provide about $195,000 of its own money to seal the site and make it safe. No council money has been committed at this stage. Friends of... The ship president, uh, John Rogers, said there are things moving in the right direction. Hopefully these figures can be made to work, Mr. Rogers said. (laughs) The end game, save the Cerberus.
0: As a side note, that stands for a, it's from Roman mythology. It's usually a three-headed dog, or called a hellhound. Yes. With a snake's tail, a mane of snakes, and lion's claws. Really ugly looking.
1: Wasn't that Fluffy in Harry Potter movie?
0: Just about matter of fact. (laughs) Uh, The second item, do you really think? I'm just curious that it's worth what five hundred thousand dollars to fix this up? It's only
1: worth that if it's not your money.
0: Not (laughs) you might does it come from taxes? I mean, seriously, what's the return on the investment? Because once you get it on land, you got to have some place to display it. Then you got to maintain it. And again, it's been old. It was dumped. Now you want to save it? Is it really worth that amount? I'm just curious. What do you think? Well,
1: exactly. Well, I I think it's too much money. Honestly, I think you could make it out of papier-mâché or a model of it. It would be just as interesting. You could do a model. So here's here it was made in 1868. It was outdated probably within 10 years. Somebody kept it along for around for sentimental reasons. But then 1926, finally, somebody said. You know what, we can't keep keeping this thing going. You know, it's probably floating on a dock, you know, taking up valuable space. And they said, you know, let's make a breakwater out of it. Put it to good use. So then they sink it. And then it just sits there as a breakwater. It should have broken up, but it didn't disintegrate quick enough, so now people want to save it.
0: Doesn't that look like an ironclad to you? Well,
1: and it would be. Eighteen sixty eight, that's exactly what it is. It's uh I mean, it's you, got you've, a wooden deck. Yeah, it had a wooden deck and they had a turret on, so it's you know, very similar to the monitor. Uh, and then if you look in the comments, somebody talks about it. Uh here's uh somebody who's going in the comment section by Adrian Jackson. Said, I boarded the H M V S Cerebus about twenty five years ago from a keelboat I once owned. The thick wooden deck was okay and four muzzle loading guns were still in the two turrets. The crew had to go on deck to load the guns unlike modern breaching, loading guns, and the ammunition will be loaded in the front turret. It was part of the pre-Federation Navy of the Colony of Victoria and was prefixed with HMVS, not HMAS. After Federation 1901, all colony naval units were transferred to federal control, but it is unlikely that it was this useful then as it was obsolete in the 1890s, if not earlier, with modern dreadnought era of warships being built by our mother country, Great Britain. So...
0: I sent you a link. Uh huh. Nice pictures that are not appreciated from the view we have uh, of that of that particular ship on the surface before it was sunk. The wooden deck, what it looked like, and the freaking looked like guns. You need to look at that. That's interesting. But again, I'm not sure it's going to be worth that much. You know, six hundred. You know, half a million bucks. Wow! Look at those guns. I like those. Did you go to the one? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? That is.
1: These pictures yeah. are they, amazing. They got- for. They must have colorized these. Or is this as a breakwater? That's what it looked like.
0: Interesting. I can see the interest. I wonder if the cannons are still on it.
1: I just think they were too heavy for anybody to bother taking off. I bet you they're still there.
0: Interesting. Wow. Adds a little more validity to what they want to do if cannons and stuff are enclosed. And that's, it's interesting looking at this different picture. Yeah,
1: that that, and that other article you put in there, you know, the comments, he says, I doubt that it was still transferred over. But here they're saying it, it, was a, it was an active vessel from 1860 to early 1920s. Yeah. So if it was active then, and it would be part of uh, the Royal Navy. In the year 1924, the Cerebus was pulled from active duty with the distinction of not having shot a single gunfire in its 50-year career. She was sold to Marine Salvaging Company, and then later on the shipwreck became a bulwark of Half Moon Bay. Now here they're saying it was a shipwreck where the others said it was a breakwater. So it sounds like there's not a big agreement on the history of
0: it. It is interesting. But if they have this much information on it and pictures, what are you really gaining, I suppose? But it's uh, it's, it's just odd. I mean, sixty, you know, have a million dollars. That's a lot of money. And that's just to get it on land. They still got to take care of it.
1: Yeah, you have to have a place for it. You're going to put a museum in. Museum's going to have an annual budget.
0: And it, it wasn't worth it to do it back then. Why is it more worth it to do it now? Yeah. Like to dive it though?
1: Yeah, I'd like to dive it. Make a great coffee table.
0: I think Jim would have some lift bags that we could use.
2: <laughs> How many oh, lift bags? Oh, we might be able to find some.
0: Oh, here's a, here's another one. 3D laser scan survey of that wreck. Yeah, you could do that. That's well, what I thought they would have. Now that's an interesting shot. Well,
1: maybe that's what somebody should propose. Is would it make sense? You know, maybe that's what they can do. We can set up an organization where we'll administer the survey equipment. We get a grant.
0: Take a look at the photos or the side scan, 3D. That's oh. that's pretty neat.
1: Is it the same wreck?
0: Yeah, but still pretty freaking junky. For and it looks like the cannons are gone.
1: Okay, so this is a 3D laser scan survey the HMVS Cerberus wreck.
0: That gotta have cost a couple of bucks too. Wow,
1: that is a beautiful 3D scan, isn't it? This is a YouTube video, and I bet you this is using. If it's not the uh, Autodesk software, something very similar.
0: So it does look like the cannons are gone, aren't they?
1: Looks like somebody pulled them off. Yep. So I wonder at what point they they went and did that.
0: Probably before they scuttle it, because that would have been worth money. Even that, you know, you could sell it for parade ground fixtures.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, it could be a, uh, a, play, a playground. Kids could be climbing all over it right now.
0: Well, we got cannons there in St. Joe on the Bluffs.
1: Yep, the old some old Dahlgren cannons.
0: Now that see that this is when you look at what we read, what we just looked at the real pictures plus the 3D, that's interesting.
1: Well, now that you've got this 3D image, couldn't you just do a a large model, maybe one fifth scale? You know, do an exploded view so you could walk in and see it. Wouldn't or that be much?
0: This, or have this available? Yeah. Interesting.
1: Yeah, nice, nice, nice job.
0: Didn't didn't mean to get on a tangent on this one, but it sort of sparked the interest and. Yeah. I'm glad I, I looked this up.
1: I like that. Let's see. Did we get through everything? I bet you we've got... I think
0: you had one more to go.
1: Ah, uh, one I figured that you might like. Maybe this one should be potentially cool scuba gear. In Arkansas, in Beaver Lake, you may run across a submarine. One man's homemade submarine dives within the waters. Scott is- Walters built a yellow submarine himself and took... It looks like a news media crew down underwater. It took him five years to build. It's able to take two people down to a depth of 350 feet. Mm. As long as I've known I've been interested, and I've been just all my life drawing blueprints, and about seven or eight years ago is when he started building it. Once constructed, the submarine aptly named Trustworthy it was complete. It was time to die. People always asked me if I was scared the first time, and I wasn't. I was just really focused on driving it the first time I just... Bumping into everything, but now I can glide over the bottom. Despite being murky, the visuals down below can offer an exciting surprises in Beaver Lake. Anything you would expect to see when you're scuba diving at this lake. There are all kinds of wrecks and different things for scuba divers to see. You'll never know what you'll run into.
0: Always like submersibles. I sent you a another video of what this looks like.
1: Oh, he had some uh, more pictures?
0: Yes, this is the actual picture of it. It looks like a hybrid of the uh, Kettridge 250, K250s, but uh, take a look at it. Uh, There's a video of it, surface and subsurface. And that's what it is. It looks like a K250. And the closest one we have around here is about 35 miles from here. Uh, Is that
1: the one uh, that's over there by Jones, Michigan?
0: I'm not sure. I've got pictures of it. I talked to the guy. He gets it out. He said once a year. And uh, he will not sell it because I asked him how much he wanted for it.
1: <laughs> yeah, because there's one in Jones, Michigan. It looks like a single-person yeah. one. It's at yeah. front of yeah. a, like a dock.
0: Yep, that's nice. him. Yep. Yep. We went over that's there the talked a long time and looked at some stuff he had in the back and talked to him about converting one of his uh, big pontoon boats for a bed for it. Did mm-hmm. you take it out and travel? You take the pontoon out. You sink the pontoon to let it scoot out. Uh. That way you could go a distance and you're not bringing up your propulsion to get to, let's say, the Havana.
1: Yeah. I would like to have a th- I think a 3 person would be a nice size to do.
0: Well, the K350 is what you'd want for that then.
1: Cuz I would feel much I'm not claustrophobic, but I also don't want to be squeezed into a, you know, a torpedo. Yeah, that those uh video images are nice.
0: It that wasn't me playing Yellow Submarine.
2: It wasn't you, huh? That was me. I was looking at the video. <laughs> oh,
0: I sent you a picture of a K-350, by the way, in case you're oh, worried. Oh, you
1: did? I, I would like to see a K-350. See, where's that billionaire? I've been watching Shark Tank in my hotel room all week thinking that. Forget something you can make money on. I want something we can play with.
0: Yeah.
1: Dive Persistence, a K-350 submarine. Looks very similar to what he built.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a, the 250 is the one he got. He has. That's oh, awesome. he bought for, it.
1: I thought he built it.
0: Well, it's a kit. You can buy a kit.
1: Oh, okay.
0: And or the plans.
1: Well, what I like about a kit or plans is that you've got some engineering. Because as much as I'd like to think I could build something like this, yeah, you know, there, there gets to be a point where why experiment with your life?
0: <laughs> Woods Hole had one of these for sale several years ago with trailer, recently refurbished basically a basement cell you come get it 25 grand it was gone before I could get to him oh there's no way in hell you would not have paid 25 grand for that sub well you think for about
1: fun. some of these shipwrecks social that we have security discovered
0: disability and duty and duty have gone together like a
1: Scotsman and is for more than 40 we can go a long way with
0: I the 350 foot, 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 foot depth out here I get through with you, you're going to be social security disability. let us take up our sword you on sure could.
1: Map. so who's got duty going Dude, on? a lot of them Say what? Well, I was, we're just getting some video feedback coming in. Oh.
0: But how much did you say, Mac? I'm sorry. It was 25 grand. Come down and pick it up.
1: 25 grand. So we've got these wrecks that we're discovering now in two to 300 feet of water. How much do you think you could charge for a trip?
0: Well, could- you got liabilities, so it depends. As an individual, you can do it pretty good, but if you start anything with commercial. It's called insurance. It's going to kick your butt.
1: Well, the way you do that is you get Lloyd's of London policies, and those are built into the price of the tour. So okay. you just quote it. You don't have to pay. You you basically have an agent who writes the policy the week before you're going down for the event you're using it for. Yeah. You know, so they, that's all doable. Uh, you Ad- just it, Provided yeah. that people are willing to pay, because you you'd you'd have to have you get some expenses out of it. Yeah. And then now probably the Coast Guard may be a little bit trickier. Because, well, how would this? How does Coast Guard raid a submarine? I imagine they must uh, have just rules. I think it's
2: considered a, uh, Experi- well, again, if you're going to do commercial, you got to have a six-pack license and a licensed captain and the whole nine yards.
1: Well, I'm just thinking about vessel rating too, because isn't that part of it when you start making money and now six-pack you don't have to? Yeah. So maybe, I mean, obviously this would be size to where you could use a six-pack on it. Huh. It would be interesting I'd because li- I think that may, may be part of the potential of diving. In the area. Well, that does it for Scuba in the News. If you want to follow along and get into the show notes, you go to www.scubaobsessed.com. We've been keeping up on the show notes. Also, if you look. really, We, we have. You have? I have. I have that actually. That is
2: incredible. Congratulations. That, thank
1: you. That has been amazing because it, it, once I keep up on something, it's easy. It's when you fall off, it's like it just becomes this big mountain. So I still haven't gone back in and and filled in uh, some of the in-between episodes. But we did add a new feature to the website last week. A lot of times we talk about terms and you may not understand what they are. So we have added a glossary to the website. And currently we have one whopping term in the glossary. And can you guess what that term is? Rubbing. Now, that would be a good one. I haven't added that one yet. It's on my short list. That and the lake turnover is also my short list, but we have the first term in there was bioprene. Do you know what bioprene is? This was a term coined by Oranova Nova? Why did I say Nova? Orinova. In a post, he claimed the trademark, come on, it ain't fat, it's bioprene. So I thought that would be a good term to put the first one in there, and we'll go and we'll add stuff like what is grubbing when we say the lake turned over. So if we ever start talking gibberish, you go in there on the website, and we will have that. So we're starting to add some of those new features we've talked about the website, so keep an eye out. You did see
2: I posted a, uh, photos of a lake
1: turnover. Exactly. That's what made me think of that one. We should okay. give a couple examples of that because that's that helps show show the dynamics and what uh jim's talking about when, when did this the lake turn over last week and when you say the lake turnover what does that mean
2: uh, well the thermal layers you get uh different layers of water so forming at the, so
1: at the top thermals. so at the top it might be 74 degrees <laughs> and on the bottom it could be 43 and then in between we might have a couple thermoclines
2: right And what happens is you get all of a sudden the temperatures mix, The thermoclines go away. The the warm, cold water goes to the surface. The warm water seems to get diluted. And, you know, the temperature drops maybe 10 degrees on the surface. And the bottom comes up to what the surface temperature was. It just all gets blended together. And it will sit that way for sometimes a couple of days, sometimes a week. And then it starts separating back out again. And the uh, last week it occurred where it started merging, it it rolled over, and this week it's starting to separate out again. And I went back and looked, and it seems like within a week of the 1st of August, for the last three or four years, it has done the same thing right around the 1st of August uh, in the last four years. It must just get so much difference in the temperature. At one point, there was a 30 degree difference between 60 feet and the surface
1: yeah it gets to be a huge a huge change and I would think that you know warm water floats and cold water sinks that it would just keep reinforcing it but there's something about the dynamics of the lake that causes it just to flip
0: I sent you a picture of that from NOAA actually two items one of the definition from NOAA and then the other one should be a uh, picture from Noah itself that talks about that also
1: oh they call it upwelling oh okay they said that what the NOAA is calling it is they say an, an upwelling is a process where deep cold water rises towards the surface. The graphic shows how displaced surface water replaced by cold, nutrient-rich water that wells up from below. One's blowing across the ocean, push water away when the water rises up from beneath the surface. To replace the water, it was pushed away. Now that see that makes sense because I've I heard that from my dad who worked at a nuclear plant. Is that they used to monitor which way the wind was blowing, and they said that that would bring up that would that uh, would cause the the lake. So you'd have this big pocket. And he explained it to me because we would go in the water and go, Dad, it's August. Why is it freezing? And this is how he explained it is. And I I was just picturing this big bubble of warm water that the wind would blow, and Chicago people were stealing it all.
0: Heck of a change though, wasn't it, Jim? It sure
2: was. Yep. And they're like saying, I say, it, it. The bottom moved. The, it changed thirty degrees. Yep. They
0: said
1: good fishing grounds typically are found where upwellings are common. Well, that also means if you get an upwelling where it starts to get cold, doesn't it also mean that that's clearer water from down below? And so once the because it seems like when when I've seen it before, well, that la- yes. that one time we had had it. The the thermal was like six inches above the bottom and uh when i went down there i went down there i can't i don't know if it was i can't remember which diver it was but the current the current was like a river it was huge so that oh, hopefully it didn't put sand back in now, now maybe now's a good point uh i understand that you you got a couple dives in last week jim
2: yeah i did i uh, got a couple great dives in um the first one was well the first one was the uh Havana. We hit the Havana and it was like Braille. We had zero visibility. So we blew off of that one, took off and went down to Max Rec and had fantastic visibility on Max Rec. Um, 30 feet or more and uh, noticed uh, about another six inches of sand was was gone off of Max Rec. So. Now, could you see any decking in the stern? Uh, No. No, I hadn't. I knew there was some there, but it was still, that piece of it was still covered. Okay. Um, The windlass at the bow, between the windlass and the very bow Mm -hmm. had hollowed out there uh, quite a bit. Nice. I spent spent most of my dive swimming around the exterior, you know, 50 feet or so away, uh, circling the wreck, looking for any additional indications of structure yeah and all I kept seeing was piles of zebra mussels,
1: yeah I know I did one dive on there, and i I headed out I want to say south, and it's unusual that zebra mussels would just clump in the sand like that, but every pile I touched was just loose yeah. there wasn't anything underneath it, so how are the buckles are the- bu- how cool it's ready it? to get back out there to it how, how are the buckles are they are they up in the air now?
2: Turn buckles have about uh, four or five inches of clearance underneath them
1: okay yeah so quite a bit of exposure now yep now is this before or after the upwelling
2: this was before like two days before because I, I noticed it's starting to shift and i wanted to get out there before it rolled over because usually when it rolls over the visibility goes to yeah. pot for a few days and we hit it just right there was a thermocline at about 60 feet and once you got below that thermocline you had good 30 foot of visibility
1: now on the havana b you said you dove that and it was really low vis
2: yeah that was low vis lower than it had been but it had been pretty windy out of the west for a couple of days so the wind had come all the way across the lake and was you know was was stirring things up so we're going to try to get back out uh sunday imagine we'll run up to the havana again and take a look at that cool I'm pretty much convinced now that it is the Havana that we've been diving. Okay. You know, I I look at that centerboard trunk. I measured it again, and it came up to 140 feet, which is the size of the Havana. And I look at the centerboard trunk and saying, yeah, you know, that really does look familiar. It's just we've never seen more than 40 or 50 feet of it exposed. And now there's 140 feet of it exposed, plus pieces of the wreckage that, you know, we've never seen before i know i've never seen i think i've got a uh, on the very bow of the ship under the jib boom which would be the piece that sticks out off the front of the ship there's a quite often a spreader uh like a yard or a a boom that goes side to side and fits up tight against the bottom of the jib boom um and it separates the lines that run from the front of the ship all the way out to the end of the, the jib boom, or your, your, uh, yeah, what, am I wanna, what do I want to say? The very, very, very front of the ship, your bowsprit. Okay. sprit. Okay. Yeah, so you've got the bow sprit, which actually comes off the jib, off the front of the ship, and then the jib boom, which is on the outside of that, you know, for, further forward, and... Right, usually where the bow sprit and the jib boom meet, below the rigging, you've got this crossbar that goes across there that keeps the lines separated and gives some spacing to them out there. So it's all part of the tensioning of that that fore rig, which would then tension the upper rig. And I found the the cross tree or the crossbars. So you know at least half of it is visible in the sand uh, with a. Square notch, obviously for the uh, bowsprit cut out of it, and so I was able to get some photos of that. And there's actually some rigging right there with it that has been buried in the sand for a long time. Oh, okay, so it's all right there together. It's really a neat, neat piece that you don't see very often on any ship It'd because be nice. that usually gets torn up and right. lost in the sinking. So it's a unique artifact.
1: It'd be nice to get good. Uh, video or photos of the wreck now with as exposed as it is.
2: Yeah, I, I have tried, but the visibility hasn't been that good. I'm hoping we can get a better vis day where we can get some good flyovers and then can piece together a mosaic of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that'd be nice to tr- try and do something like that. Well, good. So it looks, sounds like you had some good diving, and then you're planning on going out again this weekend.
2: Yeah. Uh, Saturday I need to... I'm in the middle of a search for a lost item off of a boat at a dock. I did that Thursday night. I spent about an hour in the water searching for that one, and then I need to go back out and borrow max metal detector and see if I can get lucky on that on Saturday after work. But then Sunday we'll get back out, I hope.
1: Nice. Nice. Now, did you have any other boats that went out with you, or are you pretty much solo?
2: Um, No, yeah, I've been out solo. I know Bob's talking about going out on Saturday. But I got to work Saturday. Saturday, south wind, five to ten knots during southwest in the afternoon. Partly cloudy, waves around one foot. Sounds like a good day. Oh, it does. Anytime we get south or southwest, well, anything out of the east is good for us. But anything yeah. out of the south is pretty good because it's protected. Yeah. The yeah. Further.
1: Yeah, as long as long as it is, it's coming out of a direction where there's
2: not a lot of lake for the waves to build up on. Yeah. North is the worst. Northwest is just as bad. But yeah,
0: right now the lake is good. You can see down two sandbars. Yeah, it was pretty flat today.
1: Now, when you say you can see down two sandbars, that means the water's clear enough.
0: Yeah, out well in the shallows last week, you'd get out past the sandbar and it would start clearing up. Today, I was out there flying a little bit, and uh, you can see the bottom very easily. Two sandbars out.
1: Nice. So it is certainly that time of year, especially if you want to go into Lake Michigan and get some diving, it is a good time to go and do that. We did have somebody email us this week. We had a diver who was looking for a dive buddy, and we're trying to put him in. and, And one of the challenges that we've run into is if you want to go diving with us, I mean, we can't always promise or guarantee we're not charters, but in our neck of the woods we can do it but when you start getting too far away from our home territory which doesn't take that far away to be tough we're at the mercy of other people so the more time you can give us if you're wants us to provide some assistance in recommending people uh try and give us a couple weeks and we'll and it may be a case where we put you in contact of people we know uh, to get some diving in uh because there's a lot of conditions that go into diving. For one thing, is they have to be doing the type of diving you want to do. They have to be willing to take somebody. They have to be available the day you want to go diving. So there's a lot of conditions, and uh, I'd like to figure out a way to address that, so we'll be thinking about it.
0: Uh, you got anything to plug? I have nothing myself, sir.
2: Nothing here.
1: Anything going going it, on to dive shop? It's the
2: time to be getting wet, for sure. Oh. This is the this is the time of year, July and August, is when you hit the big lakes in Michigan. That's for sure.
0: Well, as a side note, you know, Kevin's been out doing a lot of work in Gull oh, Lake. Yeah. And if you've missed that, uh, his aspect about the railroad tracks and 50 foot of water, since you've got railroad tracks already there at Gull Lake, that's very logical that those uh, could come from something similar, the rails, and, and the big, you saw the wheels, right?
1: Yeah, the wheels. It's odd that you would have wheels out in the lake.
0: Well, if they were on a trolley and you put the boat on the trolley is what they used to do. You could, you'd you have it on a railroad. You'd have it on either a winch. You could bring it up to shallows, put the boat on it, and then bring it all the way up to shore. That way you're out of the water for the yeah. winter.
1: Was that where he found those rails? Were they close to the wheels? Were they or trucks? Were they close to shore? I do not shore? know
0: where he found them, and I, I don't think they're in the same place because those tracks were relayed. Yeah, I mean that's what they were for and from. So mm-hmm. this could be possibly somebody else had done it also in a different location. Okay, uh, that's just a theory, but uh, he's been doing some nice work out there, so it'll be good to hear. for so, you know, what else he finds out there?
1: Yeah, and and that's the way you find stuff. You got to go out and look. Yeah, and he's done some looking, and it looks like MSRA is continuing to be out in the lake, and I hear them saying
2: things. So
0: I, I thought can't. Ralph Wilbanks was back. Anything to that?
2: He had been back. Uh, they were here for about eleven days, uh, but he's back out of the area again.
0: Was he working with uh, Trotter then? Because I know Trotter was, that's what they were no. looking for, the 2501, so this was separate? Uh,
2: he was looking for, Ralph was here looking for 2501. Clive Custler actually came in and was here with him. Oh, uh, wow. So they kept it pretty quiet. Yes. Until after they left.
0: Okay, because um, that's the same period of time then that they found the other wreck again, and they said they were um, looking for the 2501 when they found that. They, uh, uh,
2: well, so- no, there was, they they found the wreck early in early in the spring and they kept it quiet until mid-july and ralph was back in mid-july um looking for 2501 and found a houseboat
1: ah that's that's what i had heard
2: so that's the heard second piece
1: the yeah yeah i heard ralph about ralph found the
2: houseboat dave found the uh i want to say the morel but it's not the route the Morin. okay the Morant, whatever it was yeah yeah, Dave found that one in deep water, and Ralph found the houseboat. Now,
1: now, was Clive actually on the boat with him, or is he just doing shore?
2: Uh, he was spending time on the boat.
1: Oh, I know he likes that. How much, so. you
2: know, if he was out the whole time, I don't know. But he was, uh, he was on the boat with Ralph.
1: Excellent. Well, that's good. I'm glad to see that he's he's able to get out, because I, I had heard that he wasn't yep. he wasn't as mobile as he used to be.
2: Yep. Yeah, All <laughs> indications are he's doing well.
1: Excellent. Well, uh, I but, keep buying his books to fund that. So,
2: you and me both.
1: Well, let's see. I think I may have a bad scuba joke floating around. There's a few of them.
0: You mean a bad or a worse than bad?
1: Oh, I think these are pretty pretty bad.
2: I sent you some pretty bad ones.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Here's there's there's this. This might be another twofer. We may have to do both of them. So, are you ready? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. An Indian builder killed in a roof collapse during construction of a stage for Lionel Richie. The site foreman said the last thing he saw was Dan Singh on the ceiling. I don't know if we should be insulted by that one or not.
0: I think that's still percolating in our brains.
1: (laughs) Is Lionel Richie even alive? I mean, is that even a relevant one? i feel, I feel bad. He's probably been dead for a decade. Well, here's the next yeah, one. Yeah, I
2: think we need a twofer.
1: Okay, twofer. I was in the bar the other night and overheard these three very hefty women talking. Their accents appeared to be Scottish, so I approached them and asked, "'Hello, ladies. Are you three lassies from Scotland?' One of them angrily screeched, "'It's Wales, you bloody idiot. Wales!' So I apologized and replied, "'I'm so sorry. Are you three Wales from Scotland?' That was the last thing I remember.
2: Wow. Hefty ladies.
0: <laughs> yeah, this this is...
2: To be politically correct, they are full-figured women.
0: Also, Lionel Richard, is still alive.
1: <laughs> He's still alive. Yeah, because his daughter was the one uh, who was with Paris Hilton, wasn't she?
0: Don't know about that.
2: Stuff. So until next week, let's go out there and get wet.
0: And stay safe.
2: And think about this. If the question is asked, dead or alive and you can't answer it, does it really matter? Too deep for this place.
0: Call recording <laughs> has been completed.
2: So, Mac, can I borrow your underwater metal detector?
0: Uh, yes, you can.